Hello, hello, and welcome to the smoothest glass of Amarula for your mind, two crickets and a thorn tree. I'm half of your host, Nicholas Arma, joined as ever by the other half of your hosts, Gabriel Krauser. So, Sympathizer uh, with the devil, evil speaker of the Russian language, but we're not going to talk about that because we've got so much else <laughs> to ponder. Yes, and also uh, we have finally found a way to restrict the amount of time we're going to spend on this podcast, and that's that you have a thing to go to. Yes. Uh, so, okay, fine. Uh, so we didn't fully discuss what we're going to talk about, um, but I guess let's start with maybe monkeypox. Uh, you know, I can already see some mumblings on social media. Um, people on the more conspiratorial side saying this is the next plan by the New World Order to destroy human civilization. And others um, from the sort of panicky lockdown forever side saying, oh my goodness, this is getting out of control. It's going to wipe out the human race. Uh, and I must say, I don't know enough about monkeypox to say um, which of these is better. But I get the strong feeling that uh, there's a lot more panic here than should be should be had. Dude, I'm panicking. And if you're not okay. panicking, I don't think you're paying attention. Well, that's very possible. Tell me, what's so, wrong? So someone's going to go to jail. I've heard so many people say monkeypox on the news. Someone's going to be called a racist and go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably. So I mean, the, the, level, the level of discourse has gotten so bad. <laughs> Dude, I read a confidential document today I don't even want to get into. But as you know, one of our colleagues has been to many schools where the word monkey is literally banned. Um, including, my favorite is the schools in Durban where, they're not a lot, where there are monkeys on campus because it's like an untamed wilderness. Yeah, I know there's lots of vervet monkeys that cause them. And you're not allowed happens. to say vervet. You're not allowed to say monkey. You've just got to say vervet. <laughs> hey. Anyway, so monkey pox, like... I see political problems also, according to reports I've read and some expert I saw on ENCA. Uh, it looks like it's a sexually transmissible disease, so it can spread not through sex, through like physical skin rubbing, but sex seems like a good way to do it. And right, it so looks like a super spreader event that took it out of Africa and from, you know, it's a zoonotic disease. It's called monkeypox because usually it spreads amongst monkeys, but it can transfer to humans, but then it's not usually contagious. A human can't usually spread it to another human, um, which is why so it's the, been concentrated. The fear is here that, that, it's kind of, that it may have mutated into something that spreads more easily during sex, or is it just uh, sort of... Yes. A, okay, okay. That is the fear. The fear is that it's, it's done the mutation, and the super spreader event... Uh, identified by, I don't know if it was the WHO or if it was like CDC guys, but uh, a gay pride event in Spain. So gay pride monkeypox. Someone is yeah. going to be cancelled. This is not. This so is not exactly. This is. <laughs> and 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 you know you're kind of you're kind of joking about that, but uh, we both agree because we've talked a little bit about this off air is that this is. There's a feeling here that that there's going to be some inf uh, um, infiltration by kind of stupid political correctness, wokey stuff here to not give people the proper information on this. So 
it yeah. has not been talked about particularly widely that the super spreader event was a gay pride festival. Why? Because of this fear of stigmatization. Yeah. It's like, if we, if we say that it was at a gay pride parade, it's going to justify homophobia. Yeah. Because firstly, it doesn't. <laughs> and secondly, In case, if you need to be told that you should probably listen to a different podcast, but <laughs> no, indeed. <laughs> and secondly, did we not just go through a pandemic where one of the key things we learned is that early and accurate information is very important to the well-functioning of the healthcare system and that when health authorities have changed their minds, sort of not for really good reasons, I mean, the mask thing was a whole great example of that, right? It was like, yeah. on one hand, it was, no, masks don't work. Oh, no, wait, actually, they do. Well, then maybe they don't. Actually, we're not sure. We don't know. Oh, lol, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And... The amount of, I mean, the amount of damage that's been done to the credibility of worldwide health authorities, I think, has been immense. Some of it justified, some of it not justified. Uh, but surely the one thing we should have learned from this is, okay, we have to tell everyone all the details up front from the beginning so that everyone knows what we're dealing with and how to deal with it. And I just get a horrible feeling. And then feeling. just know that the comedians are going to go and make jokes about it. Yeah, some, some idiot is going to say something stupid. Yeah, yeah. But if we have to build society around the fear that someone might say something stupid, we are lost. <laughs> well, yeah, just look out the window. This is yes, <laughs> it's not working. So I mean, so, I do think I think that the the stakes here are much lower. I, I I think you're exactly right that the lesson hasn't quite been learned. I must say that last week that seemed different to this week. I did see um, a lot of media outlets uh, reform their mistakes. Like I said, I saw ENCA after our last conversation uh, go and put the guy up um, saying, you know, I mean, the ENCA interview was so sweet because the interviewer like clearly did not want to say, is it true um, that uh, this disease is sexually transmitted and uh, that, a, that a gay pride event might have been a super spreader? Right. And so instead, the interviewer the people, said, yeah, and most of the early infections seem to have been <clears throat> that you could tell us about those who've been infected. And I thought this is, this. I feel, I've, I mean, I've, the interviewer was not doing a wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing to try and be funny. The interviewer was doing a wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing because he was clearly terrified of yeah, saying words gay say and monkeypox <laughs> in the same thing. As if it, oh my God. Anyway. So. I, uh, I refer you the, once and again. Then the, the... And then the medical expert was like, you know, one of the few things we know is that it seems to be sexually transmitted and it does seem like 80% of confirmed transmissions have been uh, gay men, um, more amongst men than women, etc. cetera. I, I, I refer you once again, and I brought it up on a previous episode of uh, the Finno-Ugric ancient religion, the sort of pagan religion in, in Finland and that part of the world, where it was taboo to say the word bear, unless you anger yes. the bear spirit and a bear would appear and attack you yes. or destroy your hunt or whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> the more humans change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> Oh, dude, Finno Ugric, they they nailed it. So I think I think the real interesting question here is would you rather? Uh, which comes from mild culture, Studians, I suppose, or whatever it was, maybe it is university. I think everyone's played would you rather at some point. Exactly. What is our culture? It's we we have the would you rather culture, okay? Um, or we're the would you rather generation. Would you rather face a one in 10,000 chance of dying or like a one in 
10 chance of having awfully knobbly, bubbly blobs grow underneath your skin that take ages to burst and when they do leave you permanently scarred and disfigured? Yeah, it's a difficult question. I think, you know, for someone who doesn't go outside, I mean, it should be an easy question logically, but even so, there's still the seed of vanity within my soul, buried deep down, that is a little bit hesitant to, you know, be like, yeah, maybe I should just risk my life. Dude, have you seen the images? I mean, I'm definitely going. I'm, I'm sure it's grim. I know that uh, historically... I'm going for COVID over monkeypox. Like, I would rather catch COVID. <laughs> I did catch COVID. I'm fine. <laughs> I think that if I was 80 years old, I maybe still would rather catch COVID. Um, because, yeah, but then it's a much more reasonable uh, proposition. Because vanity. No, then it's like I've got a 1 in 100 chance of dying or a 1 in 100 chance of being disfigured. I think I'd rather have the 100 or the 1 in 10 chance of being disfigured. I don't so know. I guess I... What I'm to drive at is that, I, is that I think that I believe that from a utilitarian basis, it would make there's a greater justification to lock down the world to fight monkeypox than there was to fight <laughs> because people's preference is uh, as 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 J.K. Rowling uh, had it in Harry Potter, death is not the worst thing in the world. Mm. There are things that people prefer, disprefer even more than death, and you don't have to say more than death. You just have to say like one in ten thousand times, however much you don't like death odds versus one in 10 times whatever the other things right. you don't like. And then you get a sense of uh, how, how people weigh things up. I really do believe most people would rather take the one in 10,000 chance of dying than the mm. one in 10 chance or one in five chance. Of so being on that point, right? But, yeah. I've, I went and looked up in Bunky Pox on Wikipedia and I've heard some people throwing around statistics about how deadly it is. And it sounds pretty hectic. Um, I, I know that in the past, monkeypox has had outbreaks where it's been anywhere from sort of 25% to 10% fatality rate on cases. Uh, is that the case with this new this this new outbreak? As far as I can tell, no one's died of this new outbreak. So so that's why this is a nice experience. Like, but that's 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 not changing my mind i still don't want it <laughs> <laughs> right so so what what may have happened here and obviously we don't know yet is that it, it, it evolved to be more transmissible between humans but less deadly possibly is that possible? it's also it, it it is possible um there 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 are real questions about um the time that people have had i mean you've already had recoveries but mm. like maybe just wait long enough and some of this yeah. batch will pass away. No, I know. I know. So that I don't want to be no. too. I'm probably sounding quite cavalier. Um, I don't think that everyone's out the woods. I, I know that that was a problem in some of the early days of COVID because there was that uh, that ship that was used as a study, yeah. um, one of those cruise ships. And um, what is it um, called? Yeah, I've read so many remember. stories about it. Um, yeah, it was right near the beginning. Anyway, so there were all these there were all these infections on the thing, and I remember people started drawing conclusions while there were still people in hospital with with COVID, and the death numbers actually statistically significantly went up. It just took a while for some people to die for those numbers to be properly recorded, uh, and, and it and it gave a slightly different picture of of COVID at the end of the day. 
Um, it was definitely Princess. I think Diamond Princess. Princess, princess Diamond, Diamond Princess. Yes, 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 yes. That was it. Yeah, there was a little bit of that. I mean, I still, I think that the the bizarre thing is that the ultimate infection fatality ratio of COVID nineteen, insofar as it can be established, I think has come much closer to the original lowball estimates coming out of Diamond Princess analysis than later. Right. So but, in uh, a way, what's, it's, the, what's I, the princess in that? <clears throat> was the, uh, I think. One I think you're pointing out the right mistake, but there was also the right. mistake of people overestimating things. I mean, no, sure, and it's possibly because you know it's like an older, you know, <laughs> older people tend to be on cruise boats, right? Yeah, yeah. You you needed to do an age adjustment on the on the IFR of of that ship to to have a reasonable appraisal of what was going on also. Also, what was difficult about that ship was that it was hard to tell how many people had actually been infected. On which note, by the by. Um, I didn't read the whole study, but I was going through a study which suggests that um, I found the link in the Daily Mail. I don't know. We, I was nasty about the Daily Mail, <laughs> but I still I still think that they have done a really We've good job. We've recommended it before. Studies. Yeah. Um, uh, which which suggests that the, the amount of transmission that takes place through asymptomatics is lower than previously estimated. Um that they're a third, so it still happens, um, and and really, it only it didn't do the whole equation. But anyway, so the the point is on the Diamond Princess. It, it uh, I I'm, I feel like there was a section of the crew that wasn't tested, so it is hard to tell exactly what the infection rate was. Um, and then the thought was, you know, if if they if, if it might have passed through them. So, uh, yeah. May I, may I go on a tangent for a minute here about this? I think that there's this big problem uh, right now. We we see it sometimes with polling and other things like that, where, um, and, and I think you know people say, oh, the American election, uh, like let's say Wisconsin, right? It's a state where I think the polling was something like seven points out on average. And I suspect that the the big problem that when we when in data analysis at the moment is data collection. And I think that this is, is true in a lot of places, particularly right. with polling, but with, uh, with with other things too. I've become extremely skeptical of any scientific survey that uh, study that re relies on people's self-reported surveys, preferences, that kind of stuff. Um, I think obviously they can provide a interesting data point, but I, I think that they're like very much, you know, uh, should be taken right. with Twitter, a hefty Twitter, grain of salt. Twitter polls are often telling you something about the account that launched the poll. Right, exactly. And also who retweeted it. But um, yeah. a very, uh, I know that, and I remember <laughs> reading a lot about this during the last uh, uh, American presidential election, is that it's getting, at least in America, and I suspect in South Africa and a lot of other countries too, it's getting a lot harder to collect data from, from people. People don't answer their phones. The surveys are often too long, so it's like, you know, yeah, you pick dude, up the this phone. Is why, this is why I should be working at Twitter, because because the thing <laughs> is, I don't know, I saw my, I will try and limit myself to one mention of the war. Uh, three propaganda vans or buses have been driving around Mariupol, uh, sort of po basically 
um, the the evil Russians are handing out sort of food and blankets to try and convince people that they're not so evil. And then next to it, they'll have a bus that's got a TV screen with uh, the daily news being streamed and the daily glorious news brother citizens. We are here to liberate you. Yes, it's not CNN. Um, so, so the the Guardian, like a couple of papers, described this as like Orwellian these Orwellian things going around. And I thought, how odd. I'm reading this. I'm literally in the bath reading this on my phone screen where the whole Orwellian idea of the screen is both showing me something and watching me is a reality, not just in the sense that there's a camera there, but much more actually in the sense that my activity on the phone is being tracked by many companies that are selling the details of that information to one another in order to leverage advertising opportunities and so on, uh, which is exactly what Orwell is. That the Orwell screen was a two-way screen. You watch it; it watches you. Right, uh, and you didn't know just, specifically when you were being watched too, which made it even extra tense. Delish. So, um, I don't know. <laughs> I think that, I, in a way, the the grandest bugger up in data gathering, and it is it is my main point with the esteem market, is. Um, is that companies that have commodified our data, that's fine. Um, it's mostly grounded in voluntary market transactions. That data should be accessible for academic research. And I'm talking about metadata without your name and your whatever involved. It really should be. Able. And in some ways it is, but in a lot of ways it isn't. And oddly enough, Jack Dorsey, the uh, guy on Twitter who was the CEO, who's just founder, been the board. Yeah, founder CEO. The last founder to leave uh, right. when he left the board yesterday, which is hilarious. I mean, I did think as oh, a man, master, Elon Musk is having so much fun with this. Like our, our CEO, John Andrews, sent, sent to our internal WhatsApp group uh, a screenshot of Elon Musk's tweet announcing this news. And it was, uh, I think it was Jack, Jack off the board. Jack off the board. It was Jack off the board. <laughs> <laughs> World's richest man telling masturbation jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, but so, I, I mean, my thought was Twitter really is a bastard child. Like the father has left. All of the founders have left. And the only, only a mother could love it. It's such an ugly beast. And who's the mother? Well, it's you, Nicholas. And everyone else who uses Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I know, anyway, I know. Twitter was the best. Twitter like is a, the best. It's like Twitter an abusive relationship. It's amazing. Even, but even before the Twitter, like all mother-son relationships, Twitter was the most transparent with its data. The most studies that I have seen, the first, the first, when I first started doing research into these studies, I found this amazing study on All Lives Matter, for example, which compared, which, which, which did this thing, which they do a lot on Twitter, where you where you can um, draw a map, a network map, and you can oh, yes, see how accounts connect to other accounts. And so you see how it really is like there are different domains. Or different right, and you see the, the hubs of like yes. who are the big influencers in particular domains. Yeah. So, so they're trying to do a Michael Brown-related thing. So Michael Brown was the first Black Lives Matter hero. And the big line was "hands up, don't shoot." He said, "hands up, don't shoot." Back in 2015, or I think it was. Well, um, he didn't. But he didn't say that. 
in fact, he charged, he tried to kill the policeman and the policeman killed him in self-defense, according to the Eric Holder-led Obama-era investigation into this. Um, anyway, without relitigating that, the point is that there were two sides and two versions. And the one side was reported by the New York Times and everyone else as being the, the Black Lives Matter crew. And the other side was reported as being the All Lives Matter crew. And what this study of tweets found was that All Lives Matter was was a t like hardly anyone was saying it. For every right. hundred people who said Black Lives Matter, one or two people said All Lives Matter. The but there was a big comeback, which was actually at its peak larger than the Black Lives Matter t t um, hashtag or the hands up don't shoot hashtag or any of those hashtags. The largest hashtag I think in a period of a week came six months later when the Department of Justice FBI investigation was concluded and it found that Michael Brown had tried to kill a cop multiple times and that the cop had acted in self-defense. And the hashtag was something like hashtag DOJ report. Like it is just a reference to the report and like 60% of the tweets just had the report link as the right. as the thing to read and a lot of them were then comments on the report and so this paper which was clearly written from the intro and the abstract and the conclusion by a very woke light crowd not very woke like gently subtly definitely <laughs> yes. more sympathetic with black lives matter uh, than, not, than not not crazy they nevertheless woke, but like yeah. still in that field yeah they definitely they couldn't avoid saying, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> um, on the one hand, you've got this very slogan emotional argument. And on the other hand, you've got these guys sort of. And then they were like, it's really, if you get into it, it's quite scary how they dissect the report and they quote lots of things from the report. Like the third biggest tweet in the history of the thing was like like a, a very technical ballistics part of the report that was quoted. <laughs> oh, no, people are examining the details. <laughs> So it is not that. This is horrible. I found that I that really changed my outlook on things. It really did change my outlook on things. I mean, reading the report changed my outlook on the case. Reading that bit of statistical analysis changed my outlook on the perception because my I realized that my perception of things had been distorted by CNN and the New York Times. This was years ago. I actually have renewed my well, my friend has renewed her subscription to the New York Times, so I'm reading it a lot again. But uh, and I it's a lot of great reporting. But the, the, anyway, the point is that Twitter's always been the best, and and I think it could get even better. And I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to stay on this tangent tangent of, of of saying nice things about Twitter. I just want to agree with you that data gathering is very difficult. But I also want to say that the technological enhancements of this Orwellian nature of these two way screens have been so enormous, and it just is my biggest, really my biggest like career mission is like to to have the fact that the screen is watching you somehow be leveraged for good uh and that means good mm. clean clinical data gathering that really is what it means it's already happening i think the biggest reason that it's not happening in a way is someone like me wants to advocate for it and people are like oh no that's gross i don't want my data gathered and then the companies like, don't want to. Your data's already been gathered, chief. And the companies don't want to sponsor it because, like, imagine if imagine if Gabriel Krause became a professor and he did like a huge study and it had like really good news, like an IRR study, and it had the good news. It's like, wow, 
most people in their DMs are not racist and are, are right. like only racially biased in their public facing side, for example. Um, so if we just change the fashionable idea, our values are already in the right place. And it's like a, it's a, the, the, the book does well and the studies are everywhere. I mean, those companies, it's going to be repeated again and again, like data gleaned from Facebook behavioral patterns, data gleaned from Twitter behavioral patterns. And people are going to be like, oh, my good God, they're, they're watching me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. So the companies don't want that to happen. So they don't give away your data to academics who could actually do something to, useful. To be fair, it. so I, I don't stuck. think outside of China, I don't think there's been that much leveraging of this stuff from total evil for for the pur purposes of total evil. I think most of it has been leveraged to be very annoying, like yes. to send you very annoying adverts or selling your data to people who want to send you annoying adverts. I um, agree. So, no, I know, totally agree. Could I'm be not, worse. I'm not, it, <laughs> I guarantee you it will be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to move us on from uh, our, our whiny wind from monkey pox through uh, the Orwellian screen uh, and data gathering to, I think, I don't know, pretty important little, pretty important little moment in our lives. And it's not it's not the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. Oh, that's what I was hoping for. I don't know what to say about that, Nick. In my only thing I can say about that is that that I think is interesting is that I think there is literally no one in the world who's pro Amber Heard and pro Russia. Dude, I almost found an account. You, you, uh, you challenged me to find a Twitter account of that, and I I found one that was very close. It was someone who had uh, flirted with the idea of being uh, pro-Amber uh, pro Heard and anti-Russia. What, what was it? Sorry, pro-Russia no. and pro-Amber Heard. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They had flirted with the idea of, of being pro-Amber Heard because they don't, they don't like Johnny Depp. They said that, you know, it's, uh, everyone's just talking about how this is pro-men. And they're very anti-NATO. But they couldn't quite bring themselves to be pro-Russia. Yeah. This is the thing. It's like you're right on the I, line, though. I was saying this is going to be like Noam Chomsky had a baby with an uber nascent sort of fourth generation feminist. But the thing is, there just there is not enough um, sort of Barry White music in the world to make that baby actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think you underestimate the. The insanity of some dark quarters of the instant. I think it, you may be correct that it's possibly the rarest confluence. It's like the smallest overlap of a Venn diagram in of the, the two largest groups. Like everyone that speaks English is either pro or anti Russia, almost. And kind of everyone is pro or anti Amber Heard. Right. Or, or you know, pro on, on Team Depp or Team Heard. Right. And there's, and, and there's and just. I think there is, a, there is an uniform. overlap, but it's probably like six people. Yeah, the um, unicorn. I want to find the unicorn. <laughs> For me, the most, the kind of interesting thing about this has been the American Civil Liberties Union's kind of role in this. Um, I believe that they uh, uh, either ghost wrote or helped Amber Heard write the uh, opinion piece, which is the subject of the defamation defamation case. And. You know, they've been losing, I think, a lot of goodwill from people who, uh, for a while because of they, 
you know, they used to be the people who are willing to take the slings and arrows of going and defending uh, the right of neo-Nazis to have a protest, right? This is, they used to take on cases that were just, that no one else would take, right? Uh, they, they go into court and say, look, this is a constitutional right to do X, Y, or Z, even though it's really unpopular. And we're defending this person's right, not because we agree with them, but because there's a principle. And they've slid so far from that. Nowadays, they're talking about prosecuting people for transphobic language. Um, they just, they've just so gone off the rails. And the fact that they seem to have some kind of weird involvement here with Amber Heard, and then they also made her an ambassador to speak against domestic abuse. I don't know. Just... The shadow involvement is dodgy, and I think that yeah. it connects to a story about money, which is kind of dodgy. So, right. So she have... supposedly donated money to them or something. I think. Yeah. Um. And they paid her to be an ambassador, and the broader story with the Anti Defamation League. It, no, wait, not the, is is it the Anti Defamation League? ACLU. Yes. ACLU. ACLU, American Civil right. Liberties Union, yeah. That's the one I'm talking about. Is that the ACLU? I don't know. I was reading this thing piece, I think in the Atlantic, um, which I thought was 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 refreshingly critical, uh, drawing attention to the fact, as Nicholas says, that the ACLU used to really go for unpopular cases. And this was written by a lawyer who was speaking firstly about the – I think was framing this in terms of the general idea that lawyers – should be out to defend ed anyone that they shouldn't just be picking innocent clients or socially uh delicious you know uh, right they have a duty to attractive. defend or prosecute anyone and and i think there was a little bit of a background um thing about the way that a lot of law firms sort of froze out donald trump and maybe some other cases I wasn't too interested in that, but I, but I do think he had a very important principled thing going on, or she, and the and the ACLU was was a sort of key example where the argument was they were doing really good work until they wanted to make lots and lots of money to do lots more good work, but it was mission creep because mm -hmm. the more good work that they wanted yes. to do wasn't central to their mission, and the money that they were raising, you know, they were right. giving the As ratio. Now they have like only two or three permanent staff who do these freedom of speech cases out of like 30 to 50 staff um, and their budget is similarly allocated. So they've really become an organization that fights the battle of ideas and that's very wonderful, um, but, uh, but has strayed very far from what they started with. Now, my feeling with that was well, partly like that mission creep for a think tank is great. Like this is what the IRR has done. <laughs> Yeah, also, to some degree, but I, I do also think that IRR has been relatively good at managing to sort of hold the line on a lot of on, on a lot of things of not going too far into mission creep. Um, there is, you know, as it turns out, doing unpopular things is a, is not a great way to raise money. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, at the at the same time, if you don't do some unpopular things, then you just become mercenaries. You become mercenaries or or foot soldiers, zealots for some particular particular political movement and at that point it's like meh. Uh, you so, know in south africa i think we have the benefit of not you know there isn't a huge strong classical liberal uh, uh political movement that we would tie ourselves to which i think actually is in some ways useful um yeah i think that's right but i think 
I thought the when I was making the slightly perverse self-critical appraisal of the of the comparison to a, a very damning article about the ACLU and its mission creep and the, the potential parallel to the IRR is that I thought everyone in the IRR, both in their words and in their deeds, recognizes what the most important thing about the IRR is. So, you know, my my way of trying to improve race relations is largely to, you know, make arguments about all other kinds of things. The minimum wage has been my bugbear in writing for the last couple of weeks. Uh, because I think that, you know, like aiming for happiness directly, a little bit of therapy is going to help. But the, the main thing is actually to make a bed and walk with straight back and, and go to work and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, you don't aim, aim at something else, you'll, you'll, you'll get happiness by the by. I think, yeah, if people are healthier, wealthier, and wiser, then there also happen to be much better race relations. So you right. can't work on the first three. Uh, but that said, like, there's just no doubt in my mind, I think, or in any of our minds, that the surveys that we do, where we go and ask people, like, what is your view on race relations? What is your view on the priorities of issues that government has to address? Do you, those surveys, what do you think about BE? What do you think about a voucher based system? Those surveys form They're the, the foundation. Culture. Yeah. Yeah. And this we is, keep doing them, and we've got to keep. And doing almost them. everything else is, in some way, drawn from those surveys. And the ACLU, it felt very different. And this, and this Atlantic piece was drawing reference to, you know, comments by the by, and more official ones, and real, and real, um, and quite serious conflict of interest moves, that just made it seem like. That idea of defending a, a neo-Nazi's right to wave a swastika in the middle of Charlottesville, um, that that was something that they sort of felt that they had to apologize for. That was no longer the core of the mission. That was like drunk uncle who still gets invited to Thanksgiving or Christmas because he's part of the family. So he, yeah. you definitely have he, to let him come. <laughs> but, but he is not the pride you, and joy. No one talks to him unless they have to. <laughs> <laughs> And there really is a difference between those two. Anyway, that's special pleading. Or it might sound like it. I don't think it is, but the, the, the there's a there's a major difference there. So I do think, and, and of course on the Amber Heard side, I have largely managed to avoid getting sucked into it. I I will sell out my fiance, and she will be so angry if she ever listens to this episode. She does sometimes. Bitter whisper. She has watched all of it. <laughs> it's <laughs> <laughs> like she's watching so much of it it shows up on my feeds because the oh, internet yeah. obviously knows we're together oh my word dude and, yeah, the, and it, the like little short dude, clips and the long ones and the entries it's and the back so sports. it's so funny whenever um people in the political world compare the political world to the non-political world right and i think you saw this with this where it's like you know, people talking about inflation and pocketbook issues and war and all these other things. And then suddenly eclipsing all of them in terms of topic interest from, from the data that's been gathered. Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial. <laughs> Just so many sick. millions of views. So much of the, all of the time. It's beat like Ukraine finally took COVID out from the top spot of the news. And then Amber. <laughs> yeah, Amber Heard, Johnny Depp. And, and it's so crazy because, I mean, you know, there's this one so guy I follow. They are, I think it's her best work. The facial expressions. <laughs> oh, my word. Dude, she's a beautiful woman. I'm sorry. Uh, but she's a beautiful woman often know to keep their faces very, very still. 
and they'll just do slightly subtle movements to reflect emotions because if they wrinkle or they crinkle or they contort or they twist, it it goes, it, it it's not a, as alluring. Amber Heard has been like that in, in all of her acting work that I've seen, which is not a lot from Diaries and Aquaman. But here on the stand, she's wrinkled her nose and she smiled in a crooked way to the left and in a crooked way to the right. And she's done, she's had these like boyish expressions and these gross expressions and these like dull, sad eyes for days and the smirks. And the way that the little TikTok video has like 12 million views of just like one facial expression. I feel as a former student of acting and as a, and as a lifelong Dionysiac and, and uh, so on, I, I feel so satisfied by this profound attention to body language and facial body language. And, and that finally we have someone eloquent to look at. Usually it's like, oh my God, Angela Merkel's feet were pointed at um, oh, Sarkozy, yes, yes. not For at 10 Macron. minutes, no one was sitting next to Boris Johnson. And this shows that Brexit has ruined Britain. I saw that as a legitimate like what a, Dude, now we really have actors who are, they just are more transparent. They are more like vessels, like like windows but you can it's, see. It's through. not just her. Johnny Depp's also put on some great performances. Did you see, you saw the one where the uh, Amber Heard's lawyer was asking him about his... Um, himself pouring a mega pint of wine and johnny yeah. dip he, he, he's, he's sitting there and the, the lawyer says so after that fight you drew draw um you poured yourself a mega pint of wine and johnny Depp sort of looks up with his little slightly quizzical expression and he goes a mega pint i poured myself a very large glass because i thought it was necessary <laughs> 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 it's 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 amazing i don't think i think don't think the lawyers are used to this because this is just like on another level of of charisma. performance it's from charisma. There, yeah he's, he's charisma so from slow there. and he's holding it you can't as a lawyer force him to beat to your drum you have no to exactly his face <laughs> dude but the best one the money one that i want to come back to if i can is amber heard being asked so did you don you said on TV that you had donated seven million dollars, the entire divorce settlement to charities like the ACLU and and there was a children's hospital, I think. Children's hospital, something yeah. like Black Lives Matter, whatever it was. Oh my word. But clearly you didn't donate any of that money for 13 months, and then this trial and then this thing started. And now you're saying you can't donate it because you need the money to pay your lawyers. What's going on? And she's like, I I did donate it. And they're like, then the lawyer says, no, I did pledge it. No, she says, I did donate it. And then Don, oh, Johnny yeah, Depp's lawyer says, no, but you didn't pay it. And she says, but when I say donate, what I mean is pledge. And she's like, <laughs> well, in my book, that doesn't, isn't a real thing. So, and then they get what the meaning of weird, semantic discussion. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> It's like, I mean, oh, dude, humanity, humanity really, like we can see the middle of the, of the galaxy and we can fly to space and we can cure some kinds of cancer. Sometimes when we're lucky, oh, but we can also lie and connive. And, <laughs> and it, I must say, it, there's something great about this so trial good. in the sense that it's so like good. there's, it does, doesn't matter what your priors are. You can construct 
a great morality tale out of it, yes. a villain, a hero. So you've got sort of woke people talking about how this is the system trying to crush a woman who spoke out against uh, oh domestic God, violence. According to the New York Times, she is Hedda Gabler. She is Macbeth. She is Lysistrata. Right. She is Medea. <laughs> she is every woman. She is a witch. She is every witch that's been burnt in medieval Europe. It's amazing. <laughs> And then on the other side, you've got this tale of this lovable goofball who's a bit of an idiot and basically married a, a woman because she was really pretty. And then he and then got taught a lesson. And then got taught a very valuable lesson about why you shouldn't marry someone just because they're really good looking. Um, <laughs> and then how he how he sat silent on it, not willing to fight the battle until he was pushed too far and then he threw everything at the kitchen sink at it i mean both of these stories are so emotionally gripping it's fantastic yeah yeah so i don't yeah i don't know what to make of it i i really i feel like rooting for amber Heard just because now that's because you're such an annoying contrarian <laughs> but i but i but i haven't met, i haven't managed to find many facts in the way of supporting that so I continue to watch it. Okay, I, so but that is not the most important yeah. story. That is just the most delicious story. The most important story in South Africa right now is that uh, some guy urinated on some other guy's laptop. Yeah, some, someone got really drunk and peed in his friend's room and then all hell broke loose. And so what I want to do in honor of my glorious alma mater, Princeton University. Take a shot. Okay, is uh is I wanna we had our tenth reunion last weekend and I should have gone and I'd always planned to go, um and I didn't go, and it really is a sign that like I haven't made enough money to be a proper to be a proper Princetonite. Like my my university degree cost like two and a half million rand, and I can't afford to fly to New York to go and say hi to my friends, like. I am such a wastrel. Sure, surely you could have, surely you could have uh, crowdfunded from them. Borrowed the money. <laughs> <laughs> no, if each of them gave you, you know, a little bit of the money, I'm sure, sure that they, they too. I'm sure you. <laughs> I, dude, you know the scary thing is. No, I don't want no. to finish that sentence. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but but uh, look, I, and it, it it would have been an, a very special one to go to because it's the first one since the pandemic. The other two were cancelled. It is the largest reunion. It's the. It was the second largest. The Princeton reunions beer order was the second largest in America. For most of the last, for most of the years between 1990 and 2012, which is when I last checked, the biggest was NASCAR. Uh, well, you see, you definitely shouldn't have gone then because you don't have enough money to buy another liver. Mm -mm. The beers, the beers, the healthy side of things. Uh, there, there are many other things going around. Um. But it's a jolly good time, and it made me think of my friends. And one of my friends, who's done really well for himself as a freshman, uh, was in an old building where the doors didn't really lock so well on one floor. And he got super wasted and on beer, on the cheap American beer. And he turned right instead of left and went into a little freshman girl. Was it Paps Blue Ribbon? Mm, I think technically not. <laughs> but it was at that that level. That level. It would be more. It would be more hipster if I could say it was Paps Blue Ribbon. Um, it all came in kegs, so I have no idea what it was. Um, 
Anyway, he turned right instead of left and was in this dark room. And he was like, wow, how come the toilets are so dark? And he couldn't find the lights. And he pulled open something and he 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 put, he whizzed into this freshman's girl's uh, sock and underwear drawer or whatever it was. Or cupboard. And, oh, no. oh, and then if I'm... And then... No. Anyway, what a nightmare. Then there was a cartoon about it the next day. He didn't even remember this. He was so blackout, he had no recollection. Goes home. I mean, just goes to the next... He's literally right next door. Uh, passes out. The next day, after like lunch, which is breakfast, after dinner, which is breakfast for him or whatever it is, he walks around the corridor and he's like, he sees on every bedroom door and on the bathroom door, there is this A4 page printed with a note saying, sort of being sticky taped there, saying... Last night, someone came into my room and urinated in my sock drawer and I was awake and I sort of asked him to go, but I don't think he heard me. I couldn't tell who it was, but it was really traumatizing. I really just want that never to happen again. And can we please all be respectful with each other and be careful of abusing alcohol and definitely don't do this again. And also, I've requested that the university accelerate its process of like helping us lock our doors. Um so he's like, wow, that's weird. What kind of what kind of terrible person would do that? What kind of lunatic would do that? <laughs> this like, I don't know if you know how to play Oedipus goes, but Oedipus does not know. <laughs> anyway, yes, so he yes. had he had the Oedipal moment where he was cursing the criminal who he would through the course of the evening discover to be himself after he had like his sunset cup of wake up coffee. He had the first foreboding sort of rumble in his tummy and then another flashback and then and then he was like absolutely confirmed that it was him when there was some material detail that was confirmed anyway so that was not great um as friends the story gets worse i, I don't want to get into it but the point of it is that the university didn't get involved we as his friends um went from sort of Oscillating between shock and and uh, and laughter, to giving him sustained flack for for quite a sustained period of days, maybe even weeks, and then he um, he stopped drinking for a month, and that changed his life. He fell in love in that period. He worked harder, started dating a girl, ended up marrying her five years later. That was five years ago. They're still married. They're a power couple. Um, difficult in some ways, ambitious, wonderful, hardworking people. Um, and I don't want to say that's the last time that he ever embarrassed himself from drinking too much. Um, but I, but I, but I feel so. It was like a for, peak. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he did learn something from that. So that's instance one. Instance two, I was in the splash zone. It's sophomore year. I am in bed studying for, for, an exam. for non-Americans. What is a sophomore year? That is second year. The first one was in first year. This is in second year. So, one of my roommates, Jim Bunny, who would sometimes take me to the gym, bigger than Nick, but like very low percentage of anything but muscle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my size, but muscle. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, dude, enormous guy, bench press. I don't know. He could like deadlift. I don't know. 
I can't, it was all in pounds. So I can't remember the kilogram translation, but he was just in his like little tight underpants and slurred his way into the room, locked the bedroom door behind him and then sort of slashed, like dashed across it and dove under the covers into the bed, like over me and around me so that he was between me and the corner of the like wall and then latched onto me with his arms and his legs like a koala bear. And I really, I mean, I've, I've got these great stories of, of my best friends coming out to me as gay. In different ways. Thought, this is a slightly more abrasive way of coming but out. But this was not going to go into my list of like great ways to come out to me because this seemed like rapacious is a strong word. So I'm not going to use that. I would say your personal space is violated. Dude, but the thing is, the main part of my brain was like tr still trying to figure out this multivariable calculus equation. So I didn't really stop. I, he managed to, I managed to like not let go of the textbook. So I, part of me was like, if you just keep trying to solve this, maybe it'll all go away. <laughs> and then another part of me was thinking like, he's my friend. I, I really have to let him down gently because this is a broke back moment. Like this guy seems totally straight to everyone. This, he must have gotten very drunk to like be able to confess his amore. And the humidity. Also, I've got another roommate in the room, right? It's not like a single bedroom. There's one and a half meters. Then there's my other roommate, Zach. Right. And I'm like, like, I don't want to humiliate him in front of Zach. Like, I could so easy, you know, this is a delicate moment. And what it really wants is a lot of time. But I've got it's like midnight, my exams are 10 a.m. I was planning to have three hours of sleep because I reckon if I have any less, then it's I've, there's no amount of coffee that's going to help me through the exam. Like I really, I don't have five minutes for this. Um, anyway, he whispers into my ear through the whiskey. I can like, it's like a physical, the whiskey is like a physical thing, the whiskey breath and, and crawling through the whiskey breath are like these letters that eventually managed to tumble themselves back together into words in my brain. And the words are, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. Save me. Save me, please. <laughs> and I, I'm like, okay, so. Chief, you're the dude with muscles. What do you expect me to do? I'm a beanball. <laughs> <laughs> Very sweetly, they used to call me big guy because I was tall. <laughs> and also because I, I did go to gym and I was a rugby player at the time. So I was, I could bench press 90 kilograms. Anyway, the, I, I feel relief. And then, but I, I was thinking exactly what do you think. Then um, as 10 seconds later, the bedroom door starts getting smashed in as if it's going to be completely destroyed, but like viciously smashed in testing the physical limits of the hinges and door lock and it's the other roommate screaming this guy who's wrapped around me's name saying i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna kill you so just to give the context it's like it's it's a quad dorm so there's one bedroom with two people and another bedroom with two people and in between that there's a common room you know where we have our chill space so these two guys are from the other bedroom and i've now got the one wrapped around me and the other one bashing at the door trying to kill him so I'm like, oh my God, I have to put my textbook down now. <laughs> What's going on? And 
and the, my bedroom roommate Zach is getting very excited. He's sort of yapping away. He really is like short and not very buff, um, but like a good talker. Anyway, I negotiate with the one at the door, and I kind of trick him into turning away so that I can open the door. And then Zach is behind me, and Zach locks the door behind me because I'm like physically there is no ways I can hold the other guy back because although he's not as big, he's he's on his en route to being. A, a professional hockey player oh no <laughs> that's terrifying he really is like the the only very close friend i've ever had that you could probably drop in polesmore prison and he would walk out like yeah <laughs> oh, oh dear harder there there are there are probably nails that are harder than him that are used in like spacecraft but your regular hardware store nine inch steel nail is not as hard as this guy um <laughs> i couldn't hold it back but the door was strong enough to hold it back anyway i get outside into the common room and i realize what's happened is that the guy the one dude was so drunk that he mistook the television screen which was like two and a half thousand dollars massive state-of-the-art 2010 kind of flat screen plasma television screen when those things were like fresh had mistaken that for a toilet somehow and urinated all over it. Dude, and he must have unleashed liters. Like, you can't measure the amount that... You have to measure it in ounces and liters because it was all over the... the like brand, We were in a brand new building, all over the new lacquered wooden floor. It had soaked up into the little bit of carpet. It had soaked up into the couch. Some of it had sprayed across this guy's, like, textbooks that were in a rack next to the TV. He'd ruined part of the gaming console. Dude, the best bit is he actually did this while the TV was off. Then he heard the other roommate coming back, the Canadian, through the window because we were on the second floor and the windows are open and the Canadian was coming back with his friends chanting Canadian hockey songs. And he was like, oh, that's great. And then he noticed that his jeans were starting to soak wet from the ankles because his own jeans were like soak. There was so much urine on the floor that his jeans were pulling, were like osmotically resisting the force of gravity pulling it up past his socks into his shoes and ankles and that kind of woke him up and then with seeing the friend outside he was like oh wow and then he realized he'd whizzed on the tv so then and i kid you not this took him like five minutes he found the remote and turned the tv on to test if he'd broken it and he hadn't and this, this presumably one, broke it but once he put it on it like sparks flew and oh, you could no. see exactly where he'd urinated on the tv screen because that oh, was no. totally black and then on the fringes there was like a rainbow and then after that you could actually still watch tv for the next two weeks one of the therapeutic things we all had to do was sit with him as he watched five minutes of tv in the corner of the screen so that he would feel ashamed <laughs> <laughs> I I have a, a urine related university story. Didn't happen to me. Okay. Happened yeah. to a friend of mine. Uh, his dorm stole a mascot from another dorm. They decided to hide it in his room because he's a friendly, unassuming chap. They thought it would be safest there. Anyway, at some point, the other dorm's uh, members figured out it was in his room and attempted to get it back. But being a loyal member of his dorm, he refused to give back the mat, the stolen mascot. Even though he hadn't stolen it and was just the unassuming shot. Yeah. Exactly, because, you know, you've got to stay loyal to your tribe. 
Yeah. Uh, he went to Tux, by the way. So this is all at, all at Tux. So a siege began. These guys tried to bash on the door and tried to bribe them out and tried to convince them out. And they just couldn't get them to move. They were too loyal. They also didn't want to break down the door because I don't think anyone was particularly drunk in this uh, circumstance. But, you know, there was, I'm sure there was at least a little bit of alcohol involved. So I mean, they were like the, drunk on camaraderie and teams. Well, sport. yeah, there was there was a drunkenness, there was an intoxication of a certain kind, right? Yeah. Uh, so the people laying siege decide the best way to break the siege was to pee under the door, and so they did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my word>. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, many tiles were sacrificed that night to 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 uh, hold it back. Happy. It's a whole so event, many. Yes. So it wasn't just one guy. Like several dudes are pinging into the door. There was at break. least two, and there may be more. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, wait, can I tell you my third one? Yeah, go on. <laughs> uh, I told you about freshman year and sophomore year. Then comes junior year. So you had one a year, basically. In third year, a very close friend of mine, where I'd go hang out a lot, they wanted me to be their roommate. I as it turns out, wisely. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so these guys, <coughs> although they were third years, and although Princeton has like a $17 billion endowment for two and a half thousand students or whatever it is, even the third years sometimes have to sleep in bunk beds because uh, there's no space. Well, okay. In the Gothic architecture. So I, this guy was in the top bunk. The other guy was on the bottom bunk. And I'd go do homework in the common room and hang out with these guys and go drink with them and Anyway, so the guy on the bottom bunk comes to me and he's like, Gabriel, I need your help. I need—I really need your help. I know you've been involved in two interventions. By the way, the second intervention, we didn't just make the guy watch TV. He did double shifts in the dining hall with me. He was a scholarship guy to pay back off the TV and that changed his life, made him a great dude. Anyway, so I had a bit of a reputation as it turns out for helping, although I'm really not a very helpful guy. Um What's the problem? The problem is that my roommate who's sleeping above me in the top bunk has figured out he did a terrible thing where he was drunk one night in his second year and he like whizzed against the corner of the room because he couldn't find the toilet and he couldn't find the door and he was so drunk. And then we, he mopped it up, but like he was so humiliated by the experience that what he's decided to do, especially being on the top bunk, and he's like so drunk he could never make it out of that bunk when he's so drunk is that he keeps these like empty Valpre bottles in his bed. And when he's when he's wasted at like four in the morning and he needs to go to the toilet like an old man, he just unloads into a Valpre bottle. And sometimes I hear him and I found it very disturbing that he's wasted <laughs> to the guy and oh, I haven't no. learned how to deal with it. And I thought you should just you should just leave it. So I did. But then one day he was like properly drunk, so he didn't close the cap properly. Oh no. So it is like dripping and it was dripping onto the floor. And I left it because I was like, I'm gonna show him and I'm gonna humiliate him. And then the cap kind of opened like like there was a like it toppled a little bit, and then the cap opened, and then it just splashed all down see, on my bed. This is a terrible thing. No, about this no, not I'm not a, done. A Nick. visual I'm podcast. Hold on. This is the terrible thing about this not being a visual podcast is because the <laughs> listeners can't see my look of pure horror. <laughs> I'm not done. I was like, 
well, let's help you out. He's like, no, dude, this is not the part. At this stage in the story, I was still able to deal with this. So what I did was I got up. He was snoring. He The splash and my OF, my OF didn't wake him up. So I left the room. I went to sleep in the common room or sleep at a friend's room or sleep with my girlfriend, whatever it was. And the next day when he was in class, I went into our room to get all my stuff and take it away. Because my move was going to be to passive aggressively. Dude, I love, I love Princeton. His idea of the best way to punish his friend was to move out. <laughs> that would teach him. Okay. The thing is, he realized when he was there that the room smelt even when his friend wasn't there in a weird way. That he'd always thought it must be because my friend's there. And he noticed that his friend's cupboard, he opened his friend's cupboard and found within it over two dozen full Valpre bottles of urine. Some of them so many months old that they had like, like distilled into like layers of like, oh no. like dark green, black gunk oh and no. clear liquid <laughs> and like orangey. Like the ammonia had sub what's the sublimated out of the solution. The when he opened the thing, he immediately vomited. So yeah. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to put a warning on the front of this podcast. <laughs> okay, so I'm not gonna tell you fourth year story, but fourth year story <laughs> is worse. Um, my, my research into this actual case, I don't know. So hold on. Yeah. Why did we just tell those stories? I think perhaps to make the point that universities and people peeing in places they shouldn't are not exactly strangers. Yeah. You shouldn't jump to the conclusion that it's racism. Um, right. I would say that that is that either, um, look, the, the, the kind thing that I can say is maybe you've just never heard of this kind of thing. So when you see it happen, you assume it must be racist. Maybe that's the nice thing to say about Minister of Higher Education, Bade. It's Monday. Maybe um, there's something else going on in a lot of cases. Uh, former Justice of the Constitutional Court, Edward Cameron, who said, as a white man, I'm ashamed to see that still happens, um, really grosses me out. That reminds me of when I was like five years old and some guy saw me picking my nose and said, don't do that. White people don't do that. As a white man, I'm ashamed to see you do that. Right. Doesn't matter if black people or Indian people do that, but white people shouldn't do that. I really hate that. I don't that that idea. I'm not saying that's what Cameron is doing, but that idea of 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 saying that there's a way there's racial a racial code to behave. behave. Yeah, right. racially right. indexed code of the conduct, I think. Yeah. Um. But I, but I let me just also say because we're coming to the hour and I really must go. I also know the other thing. I mean, so Nick's got a sort of in between sobery story where it's kind of funny, but also there's clearly. Like Gross. urine is being Gross. used as a weapon. Um, I've seen people urinate on my mother's house. Um, sometimes just because they need relief and sometimes uh, spitefully. Um, and I also personally have been urinated on uh, by racists. Uh, when I was in primary school, I was at an Afrikaans school and I was uh, ridiculed for being from a bloodline of people that had killed, you know, the concentration camps and all that. Right, right, right. And, Dudes threw my bags and school books into the urinal one day in my first year. And uh, and one of them peed on me. And so that's also, uh, I mean, I really was pretty upset about that. 
Um, also about the blue eyes and other forms of uh, bullying. Um, but, you know, I've also made friends with those guys. And here's the tragic uh, denouement of that. One of the harshest bullies that I had in primary school, um, turns out he was bullying me because it was also difficult for him to fit in as an Afrikaner. He had a sort of Jewish first name. Uh, so he had that, you know, the, 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 the zealousy of a convert. Of a convert, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, great guy. I mean, we we fought it out. You know, we punched each other in the face and we figured it out um, like like 11-year-olds can do. And then we became very close friends. Um, and I thought he was an extraordinary chap. Good, good guy. And he died. Uh four months after he went to Stellenbosch in a car accident that uh, definitely involved drunk driving. I looked up some statistics on the number of people that die from drunk driving. I think it's eight a day in South Africa. The number of people that are involved in murder, attempted murder or grievous assault is something like 40 a day. That's alcohol caused or related. Um, the number of people that die from alcohol-related disease every year is about 60,000 in South Africa, uh, which is almost more than COVID per year uh, on the lowball estimate of COVID. Um, anyway, 60,000 means it's a lot every day. Uh, so I think alcohol abuse is a really important problem. I we think do, the common yeah. element... We have a problem with booze. All of those stories was alcohol abuse, excepting the, excepting the one where the primary school kids peed on me because they were racists. Um, not very deep and sophisticated racists and, you know, not racist enough that we couldn't actually become friends in the end. But, you know, they right. had a meme. They had a stupid meme, which is mostly what racists right. were. Um, I think that uh, it, just, it just really bugs me. And I'm not a prurient guy, you know. I often have a drink on the show. I... I like to have fun. I've, 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 my hair is not well cut. My beard is not well trimmed. I don't tuck in my shirt. I am not. Um, oh, Gabriel, I don't know what that's uh, that's like at all. I can't imagine living <laughs> in that world. Nicholas and I are both <laughs> are both chilled dudes. We are not, you know, we're, we're not the kinds of guys who want to go out there and say, hey, kids, don't do drugs or don't drink or, or, or any of that kind of um, ultra ascetic stuff. But at the same time, I do feel a huge gap where, where there should be someone saying alcohol is a major alcohol abuse is a major problem in South Africa. It's a major problem in South African universities, particularly in the excellent ones. It's easy for it to be a problem. The more excellent the university, the easier it is for it to be a problem. Um, and and that it what what. I would say one of the reasons we managed to come right as friends at Princeton, you don't need the university to get in, you know, in 2020, just before the pandemic. In fact, we did a show on this. I don't know if it was this one or Daily Friend. We, I remember I was talking about this. Stellenbosch banned alcohol from campus. And we talked about it as like, wow, this is important. Someone's finally talking about this important issue. Not a great solution. Um, but people should be, people should be serious about it. You know, it's just... I I had a yeah you know, I nearly died once on the road. It's right. just it's just this, uh, yeah this it's a very serious guy, thing. 
Yeah. Right. And no and, one wants and, to do that systemic analysis. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's and that's the th one thing, of course, that's not even slightly in dispute. The racism aspect is is somewhat in dispute, but the fact that this guy was drunk out of his mind, and beclowned himself and caused havoc and uh, discomfort to a fellow dorm mate, uh, is not in dispute at all. And you know, that kind of thing is not uncommon. People drink way too much. Uh, I yep. think Americans also actually have a. As, as I suggest your stories about Prince that have pointed out, right? They do yeah. have a binge drinking problem. Like South Africans, it's one of the many ways in which we're similar to them, uh, is that we we have problems with alcohol. I, I agree like with you. It's, you know, it's not like a glass of wine with dinner every day. It's like, yeah, don't drink at all Monday through it's, Friday, and um, then drink. But but we're going to get uh, flipping crunk out of our minds on Friday night. <laughs> And I know the feeling that, and sometimes no. I think it, you know, it's like it's complicated. I don't want to, I don't want to even start into how complicated it is because I think rinsing off, there are all kinds of valuable things to right. excess and extravagance and whatever, but there just is room in a society for someone to say, here's an instance. You know, the thing is, I saw this, I saw this placard that said racism, tip of the iceberg. That is the, every time there's a, a single racist incident, it's always the tip of the iceberg. It always, it's like, you're just seeing it this one time, but it's actually happening everywhere. And our data shows that that's not true. Yes. The data on alcohol shows that it is true. That yes. if you see one person or you hear about one person dying or, or undergoing humiliation or something very seriously bad, that really is the tip of the iceberg. People really are dying every day. 60,000 a year. You do the maths on how much that is per day. You know? So I'm not saying that's the only way things could have gone. I do think it's interesting that there's a story in uh, IOL um, where someone spoke to Theon Stutoy's mentor. Theon Stutoy is the guy who urinated on Babalo and Donyana's uh, property, that Theon Stutoy's uh, best friend at school was a black dude, that he was like in a – he was at Worcester, which is – if he was from Paul, I – uh, Paul's a difficult town, but Worcester, <laughs> as far as I can tell, much more integrated. Like that school seems like a model scene. Anyway, uh, very multiracial rugby team and all that. This story reports um, high school friends and so on saying uh, everyone's description of this guy's a racist is just not at all accurate. Um, they are not named. I haven't been able to, you know, I find it difficult. Um, yeah, well, uh, I'm not saying anything conclusive, excepting for yeah. the, here's the one conclusive thing, as Nicholas says, it's beyond dispute that alcohol abuse at Stellenbosch in particular is a huge issue. And neither the chancellor nor the vice chancellor nor anyone else that I can find is addressing that. And I think that's right. cowardly. Good point. Um, and I, I hope their friends help them out. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, indeed. Indeed. Uh, although. Yeah, it's going to take, I think, a while to get past all of this for everyone involved. Um, should we close there for recommendations? I know you need to go. Uh, do you have anything to recommend? I do. I can go first. You go ahead. Uh, so I have been re-watching the original seasons of Star Trek, the ones from the 60s, and they are so great. Just fantastic television of a kind that you wouldn't get today. It's just nice science fiction. You know, the sets are cheesy. Everything is made of cardboard. There's lots of funny, like, bleeping and blooping noises. Um, 
but it's just it's just so nice to see something slower paced something a bit quieter something where there's every episode is an idea it's not some overwrought over emotional arc that takes 10 seasons to sort out and has lots of cliffhangers each episode is a nice little story and the writers get to play around with it and you know the, the episodes vary in quality but overall I'm just having an absolute blast rewatching it, and I'd recommend that anyone who's even vaguely interested in science fiction, if you've never watched the original series of Star Trek, or if you have but haven't for a long time, go back and rewatch them. They are amazing. Dude, second that. I I, I rewatched some towards the end of last year, like in the holiday period. Oh, so good. Yeah, and it's modern so nice Star Trek sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know. William Shatner's movies... hammy acting is so delicious. Dude, William <laughs> Shatner. You know, you know, in Fight Club, there's this great scene where it's like, if you could fight any celebrity, who would you fight? And the hardcore guy's like Hemingway. And it's like, what are you going to say? William Shatner. William Shatner. <laughs> you're going to fight a famous Hollywood actor? William Shatner. He's, the, he's the great now. masculine challenge. Yeah, I think he's if I, if I, I'll he's take that opportunity to, to segue to um arguably south africa's greatest masculine physique uh or or core of machismo in our acting world jamie bartlett a lifelong friend a family friend uh, a wonderful actor passed away this week um yeah i don't know <sighs> to his i don't know his new partner but his former partner camilla and his son hector and and uh, and everyone around, oh, it's just it's been it's been a real shocker because he was fifty five and it was a heart attack and it was a very sudden thing. And I used to he and I, it was he was a nice guy to bump into at a secret little pub um, for very old journalists and and him and me. We were the sort of two not old. We were the two men under seventy that used to go there regularly. And <laughs> always great to see him through the pandemic and before that. And the other one is. Um, is Mike Schussler. Um, yeah, yeah. Wonderful that's, economist. That's... Taught me some lessons when I joined and Nick used to make fun of me as being the Institute's leading financial analyst. <laughs> I usually could get away with just laughing, but then sometimes I'd have to come up with an idea and Mike was a good dude too. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been a bit grim. We lost uh, Ian Crockshanks, now Mike Schussler. It's uh, not been a good good time for liberty leaning uh, acad uh, econo economists, rather. Um, so anyway. I'd like to recommend something from that, but I'm yeah. instead going to recommend a tri in tribute to my old alma mater and my tenth reunion that I missed. Two pieces uh, about I think his name is Josh Professor Katz, the Mister Wordplay. Um, he was a campus celebrity professor when I was there. One, I think, the second most teaching. Oh, the one who just got fired. Professor. Just got fired. Um, his star student was uh, one of my best friends. Uh, that'll be the subject of one of the pieces that I that we plop in the description um, of this class. Wordplay, a rye plod from Babel to Scrabble. Turns out, wordplay and a rye plod are anagrams. And he was just, uh, I don't know, just one of the most brilliant professors there. Uh, he's been fired. You'll see his version. You'll see the New York Times' version. You make up your own mind. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a yeah, significant case. Indeed. And with that, uh, let's close now. I hope you all can keep the flag of liberty flying.